On today's Road to Qatar, we dive in to the U.S. men's national team. We look at how the men in the red, white and blue vanquished the ghosts from 2017 to make it to the big stage of football once again. We're talking Pulisic, we're talking Burhalter, we're talking immigration, we're talking politics. We're looking at how a journey that started from national embarrassment has ended in a real hope for the future. On today's Road to Qatar. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Road to Qatar podcast. As always, I am your host, Ritik Sarkar, bringing you the best of BTL's World Cup coverage. Today, we have a very, very special episode focusing on the United States men's national team. And we're joined by the host of the Scuffed podcast, Adam Bells. Adam is also a former journalist for the Star Tribune and the Des Moines Register. Adam, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Riddick. Thank you for thank you for having me. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you for being here. Um, it's a very interesting situation. We find ourselves here with the U.S. national team. Me also living in this country, I've grown a bit of the fondness for the national team over the years. Mm. And it was a bit rough seeing them not qualify for the last World Cup, but they're back. They're back. They're um, back. And so are their neighbors to the north and the south. Uh, you know, for the first time in a very, very long time, or I think the first time ever, that all three nations have qualified for the same World Cup. But, you know, it's a bit of excitement in the air. Obviously, this United States team is very different from years past and tournaments past, even tournaments as recently as the Gold Cup, which they won. Um, you know, just on a broad scale, as an American, what has coming back to the World Cup meant for you? For me, it was a it was a relief more than anything else, you know, because uh, because because Americans have become accustomed to the men's national team being at the World Cup. So what what happened in two thousand eighteen was uh, it was a travesty, you know. It was a it was a huge huge letdown. So I, I think everybody the expectation is that they go back, and when we finally when we finally did qualify on the last day, thanks to th- last day of qualifying, thanks to goal difference in a in a race with Costa Rica, we lost to them on the last day, but thanks to goal difference, we were ahead of them in the, in the table, despite being even on points. That was a, that was a time that was relief for me. And I think for anybody who's like a serious fan of the United, of the U S men's national team, you know what I mean? Like, and and not serious necessarily anybody who's uh, as obsessive as I am, I suppose it was a, a feeling of relief. Obsessive is very good because there is uh, plenty to be obsessed about in this um, men's national team. It's definitely a different flavor and a different composition than teams of the past. And saying this as someone who, you know, was completely shell-shocked back in 2002 when Brian McBride scored a header. And I can still remember that moment so viscerally in my mind. His hair is flowing, his eyes are closed, his mouth is open. And you know, <laughs> since then, we've seen other heroic acts. We've seen Tim Howard um, during their last World Cup, you know, just pulling superhuman save after superhuman save. You have the likes of Landon Donovan, Clint Dempsey. Um, you know, these are people who have plied their trade outside of the United States and done well. And that's sort of one of my first themes coming to this um, uh, to this uh, discussion is we see a lot more younger hungry players in this national team who are applying that trade abroad. Um, do yeah. you feel that that 
kind of experience, you know, coming from the likes of Adams, McKenney, Pulisic, um, and a few others. Um, how do you feel that's influenced this team, especially in the run into these qualifying? Has it really provided the difference um, as opposed to the last time when they did fail to qualify? Yeah, that's a good, that's a really good question. And there's no simple answer to it, but I think, I think as you mentioned, um, you know, there are, there are several young players, young American players playing at big clubs in Europe now, you know, Wes McKinney at Juventus, Christian Pulisic at Chelsea, Serginio Dest at Barcelona. Um, you know, they're at some lesser clubs. You have Tyler Adams at RB Leipzig and, uh, and Tim Weah at Lille and, and, and then of course, Gio Reyna at Dortmund. And that is totally unprecedented for the U.S. Um, you know, you mentioned Dempsey and Donovan and Brian McBride. Dempsey and McBride were both both had really good stints at Fulham. You know, everybody. I think everybody who listens to this podcast will know that club. And but I, you know, there and there were a handful of others who had who had notable careers in Europe, but not very many. And Landon Donovan, you know, famously spent most of his career in MLS. He had a couple quick trips over to Europe to Everton and Bayer Leverkusen when he was really young. So that is, a, that is a huge difference between now and then. And that's been like a theme of the podcast that I make scuffed since we started in 2018 as we, as we thought, you know, we thought this was coming. We thought we saw that this was coming. There was, there were a lot more young players uh, getting serious minutes, getting serious looks at good clubs back then. And it sort of, it sort of has come true. Now, how that, how that affects World Cup qualifying is is harder to, you know. It's I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure it's always better to be like a young player at a big club when you have to go down to El Salvador and and play on. You know, I mean, I thought the field there was actually fine when we played there in qualifying. <laughs> yeah, but, there's a lot of <laughs> a lot of complaints. But yeah, yes, <laughs> but you know, typically the conditions are the conditions are not pristine, and these games are these games are tough and they require a cool head and they require savvy and you're playing against host in a hostile environment that, uh, I mean, the Cuscat line in El Salvador was absolutely electric, you know, that first night of qualifying that ended in a zero, zero draw. Um, and the U S could never really figure out how to play on the road in CONCACAF qualifying in this last, in the, the cycle that just ended. Um, so, you know, is it better to have, is it better to have older guys who have a little more experience with the qualifying cycle in the qualifying cycle? Yes. But the, the issue I think that, that Berhalter had when he, when he took over was he, it was a, it was a transition. It wasn't just a transition where some of the players were going away and there were a few new players coming in. Basically the entire team turned over between 2018 and 2022, as I'm sure, you know, entire team turned over. So you have, this in like an entirely new roster of mostly very young players. I think they had the 10 youngest rosters of all world cup qualifying uh, rosters in the and world. It seemed to be trending that way for a couple of years. Right. So it shouldn't be all that surprising, but the manner in which they've, as you know, you've mentioned, they managed to step up and rise to the occasion. Cause this is really where the men, where the boys become men. It, is in when you're wearing that country's badge and you're qualifying for the World Cup. It's one thing to be put on in a friendly, but yes. having that enormity on your shoulders and, really and I think, does test the resolve. Yeah, I think that's right. And also I think the the timeline for bringing that team together and, and building chemistry in the team 
was was very collapsed because of because of the pandemic and the you know the way that the qualifying cycle was was shrunk shrunk's not the right word it was it was um truncated you know we had three game windows every every month or so for the and last playing, eight sometimes months. playing three games over like an eight day period it's 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 excruciating just for any footballer right but also doing it with the with the added knife above your head that if you mess this up your country's not going to go to the World Cup. Yeah, the future <laughs> of the game—the future of the game in your country—it depends on you, and you have to play all these games. Yeah, and there were a lot of injuries and everything. So it's been, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been. There's been both a ton of excitement. I think everybody who closely follows the team is bullish about the future, but there's also been this this sense that you know things haven't quite coalesced the way they we would like them to on the field especially in tough games. And, you know, there's been flashes and we did, of course, qualify, which was the baseline requirement. But there's it's it's weird to be like so optimistic about the future, but also yeah, we know that awesome. the team is they're not awesome. there yet, you know? Yeah, you make that interesting point because there were losses to Canada, there was a draw to Mexico and there was a draw to Costa Rica, of course. And those are your, um, those are your main, you know, opponents in the North American qualifying, you know, a lot of people do sort of knock the CONCACAF saying, oh, well, there aren't that many teams, you know, the U.S. qualifies pretty often, this must be easy for them, when the reality does paint a much more different picture. You've seen the likes of Canada, you know, come leaps and bounds these last couple of years to topping CONCACAF um, with with their neighbors uh, to the south and further south, you know. Canada was still outstanding, being good teams. yeah. Is outstanding, but were- you know, you mentioned a lot of, uh, you mentioned a bit earlier about turnover and starting from scratch, and this is where I really want to come to a very interesting management style of Greg Berhalter, and just to give the listeners a bit of context, he's had fifty games in charge of this national team, and it, to most viewers, it's been solid, if not spectacular. But there's a stat that um, you know I found which is quite interesting. He says that during those fifty games he's enjoyed 56.8% possession overall and averaged 5.6 passes per possession for context this would put the US MNT ranked 4th and 5th in the Premier League and La Liga respectively in this past season so execution is matching intention and that's not something we've seen too much of the United States men's national team of old and yeah you know I, I wanted to get some insight into Berhalter, you know, you've all, all, already mentioned um, starting the team from scratch, but you know, in terms of tactical flexibility, he has shown the willingness to adapt to the environments and adapt to the players. Do you feel that this current crop of players really, you know, backs their manager and is able to really employ his tactics and would maybe able be able to do so during the World Cup? Yes. I mean, short answer. Yes. I, I don't, I'm not in the locker room. I don't, you know, I don't speak to the players personally about this stuff. So I'm just sort of, <laughs> of basing this on what I, you know, what's publicly available, but it does seem like the players are happy to be in camp, happy to play for Berhalter. They play hard. You know, you never see uh, a, a sort of listless, you rarely see a listless performance from this team. And I think, I think that that possession stat you mentioned, there's the two things I, I wanted to say about it. One you know, it's a little bit apples to oranges because when you when you play teams like El Salvador or even Costa Rica, who did you know who did qualify for the World Cup, but is is very much a you know sit in a low block, forced to be and try to, with. Yeah. You're gonna 
you know, really the only teams, the only team in CONCACAF that is challenging us for the, in the possession battle is Mexico, you know? And I, hmm. and I think they slightly outpossessed us both games. Although I, although I, I don't think that means they were the better team. So that's, that's one thing. And I think the, the thing you mentioned earlier about all the young players uh, in Europe does allow this team to play that way in a way that I don't think they could have even, well, they, they definitely did, couldn't have done it in 2018 and and probably not mm. before that where we where we can go into a game and we can impose ourselves um and i think we can i think you can probably expect if you're a neutral has never seen the us you can probably expect the us to do that even a little bit at the world cup you know um i mean i'm not saying they're going to go in and outpossess wales 60 40 or something but it's you're <laughs> not going to see the us dominated uh in its games in the group in that in that yeah, way that- and it's because of the young talent at <laughs> clubs like Dortmund and Chelsea and and Juventus and uh and Barcelona. Hmm. That 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 does bring an interesting point because obviously talking about the experience that they bring and it 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 makes me want to come to you know, and this is this is this is where the podcast, this is where my sort of presence in the podcast comes in because I usually try and dig deeper beyond the beyond the team selections to try and find, you know, the one nugget where it really brings this team to light. And as we found with Canada and talking to, you know, um, other other specialists um, in the African soccer environment is the um, is how immigration weaves itself into the USMNT. Mm-hmm. And um, I wanted to take, you know, two examples, uh, possibly three, but I'll stick to the two main ones that I've uh, remember is Yunus Musa and Ricardo Pepe, yes. both who sort of joined the USMNT during qualifications. Musa, I believe, was eligible to play for England, and Pepe um, eligible to play for Mexico. Both chose the USMNT, um, and both have really, you know, st- um, struck a chord with the manager, and really become a part of this team. And it's sort of the long, long-winded question is that. Um, do you see even going into the going into the future that attracting these players who could represent other nationalities to stick and choose the United States, you know, would be a path going forward? I know the third example I want to give was Serginio Dest, but I do believe that's um, been uh, waxed wax, wax polemic by so many mm-hmm. uh, journalists in the past. But I want to focus on, you know, Musa and Pavi, but, um, you know, just to sort of bring it home is that um, do you feel that, immigration is also not immigration per se but uh choosing nationalities and choosing to play for the mntd um having players do that and do well do you think that this could possibly open the door to other players who may be you know on that bubble um seeing a chance to play for a national team a chance to play for a tournament you know how attractive is this for um you know the young players yeah well i have i have some criticisms of burhalter and Maybe we'll get into those as we as we talk. But but one thing I can't criticize him about is is his handling of the like the dual national question because it does it comes up a lot and, and because you know it's a it's a nation of immigrants and there there are a lot of people with uh, you know with eligibility to play for the U.S. I think Berhalter has done a fantastic job of not you know he's been public in his statements about it and it seems to be all accounts are that this is how it is. Uh, in reality, he doesn't 
pressure people into coming and playing for the U.S. He says, "This is what we. This is this is who we are. This is what we're doing. Come and see what it's like. And if you'd like to play for us, we want you to play for us." And it seems like you know he's he's lost some. He's lost uh, Julian Araujo and David Ochoa, both players who who elected to play for Mexico, both players who grew up in the U.S. youth national teams, like Ricardo Pepe. And I'm sure he will lose. I mean, it's not, I keep on saying he will lose. I mean, we lost those players. And we. I'm sure we will lose more over the years because there are a lot of players developing in the U.S. The U-20 CONCACAF championship is happening right now, and there are players on you know several other nations' teams who grew up in the U.S. or play in the U.S. and have U.S. eligibility. So that's just going to be a part of life here. I think the um, the Pepe and Musa situations are, you know, they're they're obviously similar, but there there's some big differences. One, uh, Musa is a, is a is a extremely high impact player for the U.S. right now. Hmm. Um, he is he is I would say very exciting to watch. Yeah critical for the midfield the way the way the team is set up right now he seems to be uh, if not written in pen in the starting 11 uh, pretty close and um mm. and pepe you know pepe scored pepe committed to the us after coming up through the the youth national teams he was he was a us u17 uh played on the same team with Gio Reyna and um, several other players that that have been on and off the national team uh so he immediately made an impact. You know, he scored a he scored a big goal at Honduras that that turned out to be the game winner on the road. Our I think our only road win in in qualifying. That was a huge goal. It was a it was a header from like fourteen yards out, just perfectly placed, powerful, and um and then he scored a brace against Jamaica at home in a two zero win. And then this was I a think huge. The next game, it was a very important game. Yeah. Jamaica aren't aren't historically slouches. <laughs> so right. It, I mean scoring scoring big goals in big games can 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 be the complete difference maker to a young player's confidence and it it has seemed that way for Pepe. How however he 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 has fallen off since. Yeah, I don't think he's scored a goal for club or country since then, even though he's gotten plenty of minutes with the national team. And he's he's struggled a bit at Augsburg. You know, he got a he got a move from FC Dallas to Augsburg in the Bundesliga at Christmas time in the winter mm, break. That betting in period during during the Bosman transfer window is is grueling. Yeah. Especially if the team relies on you from the word go. So we we can only hope that uh, the situation will get better. I'm confident. His form it will. will get better. Yeah. Yes, as am I. Uh I yes, also I also think yeah Musa is Musa is interesting because he didn't he didn't come up in the youth national teams. You know, he was a he was an England youth national team player and he didn't uh I think I I'm not sure I fully understand his rationale for playing for the U.S., but I love that he is. You know. Yes. Yeah, and you know, coming back to um, how you had mentioned about this being one of you know Bohalter's approaches, where he's not overhyping them or you know making too much of noise about their inclusion. It sort of reminds me of the Julian Green situation or you will know all too well um about how there was all this um 
there's all these stories written about how Landon Donovan wasn't picked for that World Cup and you know someone like Julian Green who had just about you know played a handful of minutes for Bayern Munich was chosen instead and he was seen as this you know this this shining light he was a dual dual national of Germany and the United States and he chose the United States and I don't believe he's played since 2008 and he's currently playing for Goethe Freud in the second division of the German national team so you know it's it's it's, it's still a cautionary tale that when you are selected for the United States, you do have to perform. It doesn't matter that much that you do have, you know, some pedigree um, overseas. Even if you play in the championship or even um, League One, um, you know, you still have to perform for the national team to continue to get picked. This isn't an assured thing, and I and I and I like that that has that sort of meritocracy has been established pretty clearly um, by Berhalter, and it's. You know, it's it, it's good to see the U.S. come into that, you know, more modern professionalist um, way of doing things, where they're taking themselves seriously enough, and that's that's that I feel like just on the eyes is a bit of a change, and it's it's a change I welcome wholeheartedly. Yeah, no, I I think I agree. I think leaving Donovan home for the 2014 World Cup and taking Julian Green, even though Donovan was sort of in the sunset of his career is widely considered a very dumb decision by Jurgen Klinsmann. And, um, and I think I, it, my sense is Berhalter has been, uh, has been sensitive to, you know, unearned privilege, you know, giving unearned privilege to dual nationals. Um, I think, I, I think, uh, I think he's, I think he's handled, it's a very complex, it's a very complex thing to deal with. And, and we want, you know, we want, we want to welcome players who are, who, who can help the team and, who want to play for the U.S., but it's a it's a complex thing, and I, I'm sure in in the locker room it's even it could be even more complex complex. And it seems like he's handled it he's handled it very well. I think I think even his sharpest critics would would agree about that. And it's uh, you know you're sticking on the point of uh, Greg Bohalter, you had mentioned um, you know talking about uh, you know some of the strengths and shortcomings. Where have you seen or well, I'll frame it this way. Um, throughout the qualifying periods, what have been sort of the tactical tweaks that he's made or, you know, certain decisions of players and positions which have, you know, instilled some confidence within you as an ardent supporter of the men's national team, you know, going through the World Cup? Where, what has he really gotten right tactically so far? Hmm. Well, I think, can I give a little background on, on his tactics? Oh, of course. Yeah. Go, go, go so, straight ahead. So he... He started off, uh, I think, with a pretty clear idea that we were going to have a deep-lying sort of regista, like a, si a six who was the sort of point man for distribution and and the possession, you know, the whole possession model was going to come from a six who had, I think the idea was good passing range, sort of a metronome, somebody who could hit a diagonal to the to either corner. And so he, he selected a profile of player that he thought fit that, role and they um I, I think in order it was michael bradley will trap and uh and jackson ewell you may not even know who will trap and jackson ewell are m many of your listeners may not either but um but i think that was it, it it was he's changed he's evolved he's evolved in several ways but i think this may be the key one evolved from you know this emphasis on we need to have somebody there who can do this certain kind of passing to we just need to like control the midfield and, 
I think that's been the evol- that's been sort of the key tactical evolution in Berhalter's time. Obviously, I think it's a it's a it's been a good one. We've gone from you know one of those three, and then you know maybe a Sebastian Legette or uh, Christian Roldan in the midfield. To now, mm-hmm. it's uh, and Weston McKinney. You know, Weston McKinney would always get minutes under Berhalter. You know, he's he's inescapable. But now it's you know now it's Tyler Adams definitely at the six. And then Yunus Musa and Weston McKinney. He plays right back for club or right, right. midfielder. Sometimes he's he almost, does. He's, yeah. He's, yeah. yeah, he's almost, he's almost uh, become sort of the, um, he's a utility the American guy. equivalent of uh, Yoshua Kimmich. <laughs> you know, right back who's sort of been thrust into the central midfield role for country. And I think it's a great position for him. I think he's shown tremendous maturity and he's shown an industrial initiative that's and as you said, has sort of been lacking you, you think, with the United States. You think Mitchell. the six is a great position for him or a right, right midfield? I I think, especially during the last couple of uh, qualifying games, I think I think a six could be where he's um where he could be an exciting, sort of more unpredictable presence for the United States. I mean, obviously feel free to disagree with me because uh the US does have a sort of rotating um sort of a lazy Susan at the right back position. You know, with players like Cannon, right. Best, um, also playing there. So if there is, you know, a right back slot where two or three people are already playing, you know, it, it, I would love to see more of um, Adams as a six. I think, I think, uh, well, for the U S he's played at Berhalter did start out with the idea of having him play as a six and have sort of a, I mean, I'm sorry, as a, as a right back and have this tactical wrinkle where the right back would step in to the middle and be sort of like in a base of two in the midfield that started off possession. But, uh, for the most part, since I don't know, at least for a year, maybe maybe for two years, he's played as a he's plays played as a six for the U.S. And I think he's he's very good at it because he is so good at sniffing out danger and then snuffing it out. You know, he's good at he's good at he's alert to danger. He's very decisive and smart about how he shuts it down. He is not uh, a world class distributor in the midfield. I think that's pretty hmm. clear so, still a few years away if 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 it ever comes right. to that but yeah he's not yeah. Joshua Kimmich in that regard you know what I mean so um of course so I yeah I think uh I think Burhalter sort of had to give up on this idea that that we were going to have some like a Pirlo at the back of the midfield you know because there is no American <laughs> Pirlo right now unfortunately there is there is, right. there is not hopefully hopefully yeah, soon maybe but, someday uh, I think I think I think the right thing is to identify that this is a position that is important and that could possibly drive players in the future to really, you know, focus in on that position because it always comes to it's impossible till it's done. So if you have one or two if you have a manager that says, "Look, the system is working with the six, you know, it sort of sends an implicit message to other midfielders saying, "Hey, if I get good at this, you know, this is an important part in the team and you know, this 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 could be where I can really, um, you know, solidify my importance because there are other players in the midfield, as you mentioned, you know, players like McKenny and Delatore, um, and and a few others who do, you know, will probably regularly feature for the uh, USMNT midfield if they are fit uh, when the time of the World Cup comes in. But the number six position is obviously the most important out of all of them. It's yeah, and it's really only Tyler Adams. I think his be- the best backup is probably Kellen Acosta, and it's a it's um and Acosta has his moments. He is he's capable of playing quite well and does, but he I think his floor is quite a bit lower than Adams's. So we need we need we need Tyler Adams to, 
stay healthy. Of course. Um, the other thing, you know, the other thing Berhalter has evolved about is I think he just, he's just become less rigid. Originally we were, we sort of defended in a mid block, you know, sort of a soft mid block. And then, you know, we, we thought we were going to pass people into uh, oblivion and score a lot of goals that way. And, and you know, the, the modern game is about transition moments for that. What's that? It's always good to hope for that, even if it doesn't uh, <laughs> right. translate into reality. It didn't really translate, and you know, and we, you know, we thought we were pretty, we were pretty set on passing out of the back. Even when we played Mexico, we had a friendly in 2019, uh, after you know, a couple months after the Gold Cup, where they beat us three to zero in in New York City. Well, you know, in New Jersey, on the Jersey side of New York City, and um, it was kind of the, it was close to the low point of the Berhalter tenure. We just got absolutely played off the park. Couldn't couldn't pass out of the back. They scored, a, you know, they scored a bunch of goals because of their press. And I think that you know that we also had a pretty anemic performance at Canada in uh, Concacaf Nations League that fall, where we lost two to zero, a harbinger of things to come. And and uh, and I think from then on we were we started to focus more on pressing and. And put you know putting pressure on the other team when they had the ball and and trying to create transition moments and then the next evolution was to really have, be a team that capitalized on transition moments you know if you have an opening we got to go we got to go for it you know that's how you score goals um, how a lot of teams across the world score goals now and um, so I think that that's been a big that's been a it's almost like a total we're a totally different team tactically than we were when Berhalter took over. Uh, and I, you know, I, people have talked about that, but I don't know that most people who aren't paying attention to the U.S. would would know that. <laughs> That's a very good tactical insight, and obviously, you know, every every head side of the coin has a tail. So it's obviously, you know, there are Bahalter is working with what he's got, and in certain positions and in certain, you know. Certain styles of football, especially off the ball running, third man runs, um, are there you know clear sort of areas where you feel the U.S. really need to tighten up tactically, or Berhalter needs to tighten up tactically before you know they go to the group stages. Hmm. I think I th- I feel like the the tactical. Uh, the tactical setup right now is is good and um there's some individual and there's some been, been some individual developments that have that have helped that i do think up until roughly the winter break this past one that pulisic was not well he wasn't fully healthy so that to be fair to him he wasn't fully healthy but i do not think he was stretching the line as a as a winger in the way that he needed to and moving off the ball in the way that he needed to, he was. And that's sort of been the theme with his club performances as well at Chelsea, which has raised more than a few questions about his future. Which, you know, obviously, as a captain of the men's national team heading into a World Cup, you you can't can't really be good for the psyche. Yeah, and I, but I do think so. You know, the, the way it's a four three three, and you've got. Uh, you, you know, you got you got two eights and then a six, and then you have a striker and then two wingers out wide. And the Tim Weah is is you know who has not done has not made a lot of headlines at Lille this past season. He's been absolutely fantastic for the U.S. He he's he's been the prime he was, primary chance creator throughout qualifying. 
and especially with he was he was pretty important to their title winning um uh, season as well and it 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 only struck me back to i feel like the last player last american player who's made that much of an impact on a title winning team you know i i i struggle to think maybe maybe tim howard and golf man united hmm. during the one season he won a premier league title but you know having having that kind of a performance and you're very very right it he flies under the radar quite a bit which with the surname of where it you know it's it, weird. it, it yeah. it's 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 always weird here's 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 his father um you know the the only the only african ballon d'or winner ever i think yeah. his father's a ballon d'or winner you know, not to mention um, the president dude, of liberia and and yeah where does still manage to fly under the radar sorry go ahead yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Just, just, just to add what you said. It's, 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 it's a, it's a nice contrast. It's a refreshing contrast to see someone with his surname, you know, being under the radar and you know functioning just as the team need him to. Yeah, he, he's, he's so good off the ball. He's so, uh, he's, he's able. He has this almost supernatural ability. He's, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't beat beat people and leave them in the dust, and then you know just totally eliminate his marker the way you know, you know. Lionel Messi would or you know that's the obviously a crazy example but you know he's not like a dribble merchant he's he's but he has this ability to he gets enough of a window where he can get a good cross off and you know he so he's running in behind in very intelligent ways and then has enough window where he gets a cross off you know he he played the ball across for Pulisic to score the game winner against Mexico and Cincinnati last November that was in a World Cup qualifying game and he he's he scored he scored several goals and set up several goals over the past you know throughout qualifying now Pulisic also gets on the score sheet you know he he scored that header against Cincinnati but in the moment by moment of a game throughout at least the first half of qualifying he was not he just was not that influential he would he he do this thing where he come back and come back into the in the half space or even stand on the touchline and point at his feet. Somebody would pass him the ball and then he try to dribble a couple guys and lose it. Uh, sometimes he would get hurt trying to dribble people. He got hurt in uh, he got hurt in Honduras in the first window of qualifying doing just that trying to dribble five guys and then running into a brick wall at the top of the eighteen. And I think it you know it was a big impediment to his entire season both for club and country that injury. So. The thing is, he has gotten better. I think Pulisic has gotten a lot better. He got a lot better in the last win. He was a lot better at these things in the last window. He was better in the in the winter window, you know, the January, February one with that really, really cold game in Minnesota. So I think that Pulisic maybe buying in or having the energy and the fitness to really execute the plan has has made a big difference. I think the the big question for well, there are two big questions for U.S. fans, I think, right now. But one is, who's going to start at striker? And is that person going to be someone we can trust to score goals? Yeah, is it going to be Ferreira? Is it going to be Pepe? Is it going to be someone else? You know, could it, could it, could... I mean, obviously, we've seen, um, you know, Zardes is the uh, veteran of the lot. You know, could we... He has a double-digit, um, uh, you know, goal return for the United States. Could we... See him uh, you know, popping in here or there. I don't think so. Yeah, I think his I think his days are over. Uh, his days are. He he even um, he's even fallen off quite a bit in Major League Soccer in the in the past year. Or so the Rapids, I believe. Yes. Yeah. I mean, and, he he got yeah. overtaken by a. Yeah, I mean the crew the crew club he'd been at for several years just let him go to the to the Rapids, and I, he hadn't been called up for three or four camps. 
so he's I think he's I think he is done as a national team striker. The other possibilities are Pfock, Jordan Pfock, who plays in uh who goes by uh Jordan Sibachu, plays for Swiss Young Boys, uh scored I think 25 goals this past season. He's he struggled for the US. Uh he did get some opportunities. There are, you know, there are some other names, but it's probably gonna be Ferreira and Pepe and one other person. I don't know. I don't know who. Maybe Haji Wright. I know. Maybe, maybe, maybe we see centre forward Pulisic, false nine Pulisic. Who knows? It could be. It could be. I mean, <laughs> it could be. Berhalter likes the. I think Berhalter likes the idea of having a of having a false. It's nine. always a fashionable idea. Everyone likes a false nine. Ever since uh, Totti made it, um, you know, the flare back in the early two thousands, and I always, I always mention that because everybody credits. Um, Pep and Messi towards it. It's like, no, it's been it's been done before, but it's always really popular. So, you know, just coming back to the World Cup and coming to the group stage, just sort of closing in it out. Um, there's Iran, there is the United States, um, and there is Wales. I'm sorry, United States is obviously. <laughs> UK, um, yeah. England, England, England is what I meant to say. Um, and I don't think the situation really feels that bleak because part of me, even though I've supported England in the past, you know, part of me is raising questions about England. Um, I I've struggled to think that they're gonna win all their games. They should win all their games, but you know, this is England and this is a World Cup. Um reputations do count for something and you know everybody does remember, you know, the 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 Robert Green gaff um when uh, England and the United States played out to a one one draw. Um, and it, and you know, U.S. to that credit were good in that game, but you know it's just coming back to um, the possibilities. Uh, Wales have proven themselves, you know, very dogged customers. But yeah, that's a, certain, such a good way to certain, put it. Yeah, yeah <laughs> in certain in, in in certain in certain ways, I feel like the Wales national team and the U.S. national team are at it's at, at similar at similar parts in their international football. Um, you know, of course, this team doesn't have you know, people with World Cup experience and Wales is entering their first World Cup in donkey's years. Um, so it would be an interesting matchup. I want to get a sense from you, you know, purely as the fan um, and also as the critic of um, the U.S. men's national team. And critic isn't a bad word. No, critic is no. just, you know. The world needs critics. Yeah. <laughs> and... Um, you know, do you see a chance for the U.S. Uh, national team to get out of this group? Certainly, certainly, there's a chance, and um, I'll, I'll be I'll be lying if I said I would was wouldn't be disappointed if we if we weren't to get out of the group. Um, but you know, who knows? I mean, it's three it's three soccer games. Variance is gonna variance is gonna have its way with us, and uh, we could yeah, and um, uh, we could end up winning all three games, although I don't expect that. But, uh, you know, I think, I think the most likely outcome is we, we, we scrap our way to the, to the knockout round somehow. And there are always, there are always teams that scrap. I think, um, people, people have looked back to the world cup with rose tinted glasses. If you know, the, the diving headers, the incredible lost ditch tackles and, you know, the dizzling, dazzling dribble results. When in actuality, it's usually two blocks of midfield and deep defending and counter-attacking. That is the way most World Cup games play out and more the way more, most World Cup games are won. And that's where I 
that's where I really am excited to see, you know, this um, deep-lying playmaker role. I, I, I'd i love to see Baholder stick with it, stick with the three, you know, have the, you know, tighter passing, have the third-man runs, have those counterattacks coming in where players are closer together. I think moving up as a unit and moving behind as a unit is, is, is better because a lot of people expect, quote-unquote, smaller teams to play the you know the hoofball counterattacking game, but I think I think the U.S. national team, unlike national teams of the past, respect themselves enough to play their own style and want to win with that. I, agree. I would I would I would I would I would hate to see you know um, you know defenders dropping deep and fullbacks sticking to you know the twelve yard box. Like it, it would it would really make me sad to see. But on the other hand, they, you've got to be pragmatic. It's 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 it it it. it like nobody wins from playing pretty and losing and then losing and saying, oh, we played the good game of football. Right. This is a World Cup. This is a chess match. It, it might seem, it might not seem like it, but sometimes you've got to do the dirty work. But you no, know, hopefully, hopefully that comes in in a scrap in the front of, in the front of um, uh, the opposition goal and not def- the US defending their own. Right. Yeah, just hearing you t- speak that way sends a shiver down my spine because I don't know, you know, I don't know if this young team is ready for that kind of chess match. But, um, you know, we'll see. We'll see. I think I think you're right. We can, the third man runs, the, the tight combination passing through the middle. We are, the U.S. is definitely capable of that. And if, if Wales comes into this game thinking they're going to face, you know, a U.S. team like the one from 2002, which did quite well, but still played a pretty, you know, sort of passive type of soccer. Passive is not the right word. It was not. It was not. Pro, it was not proactive in terms of possession. But if they think they're going to play a team like like that, or the team from '98 or the two, 2006, they will be surprised. I, I guess they they have Y Scout just like everybody else, and they're watching to see how we play. But um, yeah, I think I think the game against Morocco, the friendly against Morocco. I don't know if you got a chance to watch that, but there was. That that was a Morocco team that I don't think was had its foot, the gas pedal all the way down definitely, but still it was uh, there was a lot of good stuff from the U.S. in that game, and we're you know we're still missing in that game we're missing Giovanni Reina who's been out with injury for a long time I think he's probably the most talented player on the team. Uh, yeah, quite a big loss not having him throughout most of the qualifying. Yeah, yeah, and, if, and but the if, flashes we did get of him were so tantalizing. I mean, he he is. Uh, He's gonna be if he can stay healthy. He's gonna be a fantastic soccer player, and um, and then Sergio Dest, who is I know there's been a bit of a carousel at right back, but that's mostly because of him getting injured, and you know when he is healthy and, and Barcelona not knowing what they want at any given point of time. <laughs> well, he, he, the carousel at Barcelona is a whole other issue, but I mean it, at the at, for the national team, he is the starter at right back when he when he's healthy, and hmm. and he you know despite some of his struggles at Barcelona he is uh he allows the US to play you know with that with his playmaking play playmaking ability from right back his his comfort on the ball um you know his his willingness to get forward he he allows us to play in a totally different way when he's on the field not totally different but it adds a whole a whole new dimension so i definitely so i uh so i'm i'm excited about i'm excited about our talent and about what we're capable of but the chess match, man, I don't know. That stresses me out. I don't know. <laughs> but I'm going to, just to close it out here, I'm going to push you. Um, the United States men's national team, where are they going to end up in the World Cup? <sighs> um, 
I'll just I'll just go for it. Let's say they go to the quarterfinals this time. I see that's that's what I like to hear. That's what I like to hear. That's the that's the American spirit that's been missing. Um, and uh, with 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 that, that has been the United States men's national team. Uh, thank you so much, Adam, for giving all your insights and hot takes. Um, I'm sure we we even if we earn a new fan for the U.S. men's national team out of this, that's a that's a job well done. Um, keep following here us here at uh, Breaking the Lines. We're going to be bringing you more and more content from the national teams. Um, do stick around. Uh, we're going to be displaying a whole host of topics, whole host of teams, whole host of players, everything related to the World Cup in Qatar. We hope you're listening soon, and we'd love to have you back again. And three...